Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgeley and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to the Box, the show that's everything football. You're with Michael Edgeley and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game as our regular co-host Rob Gilbert enjoys the second week of the waves down at uh, uh, the Bass Strait Waves, just uh, cooling his toes uh, as he enjoys a little bit of a holiday. First edition news with Willem van Denneren shortly. Then Adelaide United CEO Nathan Cosmina will join us to share his views on everything at the Reds, including Joshua, Joshua Cavallo suffering homophobic slurs, Ben Halloran departing for the K-League, and skipper Stefan Mork on his wish to join the J-League. Challenging times for everyone at the Reds. Uh, Willem after that with all the news uh, from the Matildas camp and Socceroos as the Socceroos prepare for their do-or-die January window clashes against Vietnam and Oman. Then we'll be joined by superfan Michelle Prasad who will break down all of us, for all of us right around Australia, the latest stadium security shambles that was in Sydney last weekend and the continued challenges facing active support in both the A-League men and women. And of course, we'll wrap it up with the extended stoppage time, uh, looking at all the interesting and sometimes quirky football issues at home and abroad. Uh, Welcome to Derek Dyson, my co-host for tonight, uh, or this week's program. Derek, I'm assuming you've put COVID behind you and you're back on uh, working on full, full cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, uh, Edge. Uh, in the uh, co-hosting chair for the third week in a row, unprecedented times. Uh, mm-hmm. Could be a ch- could be in with half a chance to, to keep my spot. I don't know. Maybe Rob should just uh, stay stay down at the uh, cooling his feet in the Bass Strait, as you said. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, we're Arsenal fans, so we're sort of... I know we're going to talk about cap sets in stoppage time, but it, it hurts probably more than uh, most Nottingham Forest uh, did the job on us. And yeah, what do you take out of that, Derek? Well, I think our Mikel Arteta said it all. He didn't pull any punches, did he, Edgy? Uh, he, he played a, a you know pretty open card when, when asked about it by the media. He said that the team just didn't show any appetite or desire for that game. Uh, we've just got to hope that they're going to take the... Uh, the League Cup semi-final against Liverpool over two legs a little bit more seriously. And uh, with our season already free of uh, European disruption, we're now going to have all the time in the world to prepare for these Premier League games. So no excuses, Ed. It's got to be the top four. Absolutely. But let's get all the latest news. Let's welcome our news hound, Willem van Dender, into the microphone. G'day guys, great to be back for another week. Let's get the ugly story out of the way first. That relates, of course, to Josh Cavallo. The Australian Professional Leagues and South Australia Police are conducting separate investigations into homophobic abuse levelled at Josh. Cavallo took to Instagram to call out abuse he received from the stands during Saturday night's match against Melbourne Victory. The police investigation comes at the request of United, with Cavallo the target of online death threats over recent months as well. So, Michael, the APL have vowed to ban perpetrators for life. I think the public voice uh, from fans has been really strong. Uh, I think administratively it could have been a little bit stronger, particularly uh, regarding the statement from Melbourne Victory, which I was very disappointed in. Yeah, I think everybody was disappointed with the statement from Melbourne Victory. Um, uh, That's probably their first misstep under the new Caroline Carnegie administration. However, um, I think they'll learn from that. I I was genuinely really happy with the industry's response. Uh, Fans, 
on social media, the APL, uh, Adelaide United themselves, um, you know, other teammates and uh, opposing players. I thought uh, the unanimous chorus of condemning uh, what is just appalling behaviour uh, was out there. And uh, let's hope that uh, the perpetrators are identified and, and banned and we can move on because, uh, you know, Joshua Cavallo, he's... Um, courage and strength and uh, and honesty is uh, well documented. He's been through a, fan, a fantastic, tumultuous journey and we don't need uh, any of the homophobic slurs uh, to become a normal thing in our game. And I- I'm genuinely um, positive about the response, Willem, and, uh, and I'm hoping that uh, uh, we'll be able to move on from this, uh, uh, as you said, nasty, sort of ugly instance and uh, learn from it and uh, put it all behind us. Derek, what did you make of the victory statement? Often when there's a police investigation uh, going on, hands can be tied by that term investigation and uh, you can't always say what you want to say, but that victory statement, three and a half paragraphs, I think uh, any of us could have written it really. It was it was that cliched <laughs> and predictable. Yeah, I was trying to think about it from the point of view of the comms manager, Michael, on the show. Of course, he's done that role a few times and as you said, you don't always get to say what you want. Um, it felt a little bit sterile. Uh there were no actual attributable quotes to anyone in the senior management of the club to to really underline uh, underline the point. Um, yeah, so you just got to hope that their their kind of broader response to it is a bit stronger than their pre- their press release. That's for sure. Let's hope so. And the most deafening silence, of course, remains from original style Melbournians who are effectively running the North Terrace at the moment. So yeah, nothing from them to this point and doesn't look like anything forthcoming. The Matildas have commenced their pre-Asian Cup training camp in Dubai with Tony Gustafsson confirming 21 of 23 squad members. Four train-on players will compete for the final two positions before the deadline. They are Carly Rosebacken, Holly McNamara, Winona Heatley and Courtney Vine. Confirmed in the 36th player, excuse me, confirmed in the squad is 36-year-old Ivy Lewick, who returns six months after announcing her international retirement. Michael, so again, Gustafsson has ignored uh, the middle-aged Matildas, if you like, in the centre of defence. Polkinghorne, Lewick, Alana Kennedy, who is still only 26, but uh, she's part of the old guard, definitely. They're all there. And then the super young in, in Nash and Nevin, but uh, no Emma Checker, no Jenna McCormick, once again. Oh, look, I think the time for experiment is over and uh, the recalling of Ivy Lewick, I think, is a uh, admission by Tony Gustafsson that um, this Asian Cup is very winnable and to do that, they're going to need some experience at different times during the tournament. Um, the super young, as you described, they're, um, you know, I don't expect them to get too much time, maybe against the Philippines and that sort of um, opposition. But this is a tournament that uh, the Australian football community have expectations that we are going to play Japan in the final. And uh, that's going to be a big, big event. Um, they're expecting uh, they're expecting the team to sail through the early qualification matches without any problems. Uh, we don't want a repeat of 2018 where, uh, 2019, sorry, or 2018, sorry, where we, um, you know, we have a almost lose to Thailand and rely on a 93rd minute winner to go through. We we want uh, this team to uh, to dominate and make the final and have a big spectacular event against Japan, which is a, a country we've had a lot of problems with over the Tony Gustafsson era in the seat. So, yeah, look, I thought it was an interesting selection for Ivy Luke, but a, but a, probably a good one. And uh, let's hope that, um, that that defensive structure, which has let him down in uh, the recent friendlies, can uh, find its feet and uh, do the job for us and allow... Um, the excitement machines we have in the front third to score lots of goals and uh, and hopefully 
not since Melissa Barbieri's 2011 um, Asian Cup team have we lifted this uh, piece of silverware. So let's hope that Tony Gustafsson and Sam Kerr can do that in about uh, four weeks' time. Yeah, it's certainly winnable. Got to grab them while they're there. Let's head to the States now. The US Soccer Federation's presidential election will take place in March, and just one of eight candidates has been deemed fit to challenge Cindy Palo Cohn, and that is her predecessor, Carlos Cordero. Cordero stepped down in March 2020 after a lawsuit found he'd suggested the women's team held fewer responsibilities and less physical skill than male counterparts. Interestingly now, though, Michael, he's pledged equal pay as a core component of his campaign. How is this grub back in the picture? <laughs> you call him a grub. Uh, I might just let um, Megan Rapone's um, words uh, probably uh, describe him. Uh, she said he embarrassed everything and everyone with caveman levels of misogyny. <laughs> um, I think they probably uh, do it uh, do do him justice. So Condello, in, in fact, is in favour with FIFA. Infantino appointed him as a senior advisor on global strategy and governance. He's the most senior position held by an American at FIFA. Um, yeah, very interesting uh, times. This is obviously a bit of a throwback to um, the shakers and movers in American football who you know, haven't uh, supported the advancement of uh, equal pay or, or the women's uh, conditions around uh, their national league and also their the international uh, remuneration. So, yeah, he's in the gun. There's no doubt about that. It's just worth reflecting, Willem, that the most um, the voting is roughly 33% uh, Athletes Commission, um, 20% Youth Council, 20% Adult Council, 20% Pro Council. That's roughly the, the way the votes split. They, they went through a massive reform of the Congress in American football, um, which was really driven by, believe it or not, Donald Trump's presidency um they were looking to get the players and the grassroots more voting power in who ran american football so that was all part of the world cup bid that they won um with mexico and canada that that process so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens i understand the athletes commission will have a big say in this and at the moment they're um well and truly behind uh the incumbent uh, cindy parlo cone so watch this space uh, we're after a bit of a agenda vote uh we've seen that happen here in australian football with the heather reed versus uh the rest stuff so um yeah it looks mm. like it's playing out in america as we speak Derek, the other thing i find fascinating about this story is that there were eight candidates along with uh Cordero. he was one of the eight who reached the penultimate stage to get through there into the final running all that was required was the completion of a background check and three letters of nomination from organization members and or one of three athlete members of the board of directors so that doesn't seem too difficult unless uh those organization members are, are basically funneling their votes to make sure that this was the outcome detects a degree of cynicism there from you Willem I mean this is uh you know uh, I, I don't see anything wrong with anything that you've outlined there and uh, I'm sure it was a fair and proper process <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to AFCON Nigeria and Morocco they're the big winners early uh but it has been a pretty low scoring tournament to this point eight games the first eight games were separated by a goal or less Morocco edged their meeting with Ghana 1-0 through Sofiane Bufal while Nigeria outlasted Egypt after opening the scoring through Kalechi Iheanacho Elsewhere, Cameroon needed two penalties to overhaul Burkina Faso on opening night, and Algeria drew nil all with Sierra Leone to keep their run of unbeaten internationals going. So, Derek, Italy hold the record at the moment for the most internationals unbeaten with 37. We know they set that last year under uh, Mancini. Algeria believe at this point that they're at 35. Is that the case? 
Doesn't doesn't look like it. I mean, they're, they're, they're having some kind of amnesia. First of all, again, that they lost against their bitter rivals, Morocco, and then they seem to be writing off the entire Arab Cup uh, campaign as well. I understand that there are some vagaries in that in, in these tournaments, it's only drawn on players that are based domestically uh, uh, as opposed to your overseas players. But yeah, for, for me, it, it feels a little fishy and, and I think they should check their numbers, Willem. Yeah, so they won the Arab Cup. I don't think there was a concern around that one, but there was a, a smaller tournament uh, within this run of 35 unbeaten uh, where, yes, as you say, they could only draw on local players. So they haven't counted that as an A international. So, yeah, they've said they've won 30 or unbeaten 35 in a row and are quite simply just ignoring the one that they lost. Off-field, though, Michael, security issues have already arisen with three Algerian journalists attacked on uh, their way to dinner in the city of Doula. Reporter Smail Mohamed Al-Molkrane was stabbed twice in the back. Phones, wallets and passports were also stolen, although he's since left hospital and will continue covering the tournament. Organisers remain confident the eight matches scheduled for uh, Limbe, of course, the region of the Anglophone crisis, uh, is going to run smoothly. Uh, from our preview with Rob Stevens uh, last week, it seems that the off-field is just as much a part of AFCON as the on-field Michael but uh, it seems to me that playing down in Limbe uh, could be avoided. Yeah I think that's the obvious uh, takeout that a lot of people who are having a look at AFCON at the moment are, are thinking but uh, a couple of stories caught my eye. Africa is a fantastic place it's um, got the uh, all sorts of uh, stories there. I thought this one from the authorities in Cameroon was a good one. They say thousands of people have been able to get their COVID-19 vaccine uh, maybe Novak Djokovic can uh, take this on board a little bit too, uh, Willem. Um, but they understand that the reason people are getting the vaccine is so they can go and watch the football. There was a fantastic quote from 29-year-old Gabrielle Nduze, who uh, is vice president of the local Taxi Drivers Association. Nduze said he wanted to see the AFCON matches and the only way he could do that was to take the vaccine. He said, I'm not taking the vaccine because I really trust it. No, the main problem is to get to the field. I want to see players like Sadio Mane from Senegal, Mo Salah from Egypt, and all those strikers that play in Europe. I've been hearing about them, but I've not seen them. This is an opportunity for me to, for me to take my vaccine, then get to the field to see them. Most of the people that are taking this vaccine now is just because they want to see AFCON. I thought that was a beautiful little story from the Vice President of the Taxis Association. <laughs> Don't get the vaccine to stop yourself from getting COVID or protect your loved ones. Get it to see Mane and Salah. I tell you, Edge, who they need to get it to see, and that is the Sierra Leone goalkeeper, Mohamed Kamara. I don't know if any of you guys saw his performance in the nil-all draw with uh, Algeria. Uh, took the sweeper-keeper uh, to a new level. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got to be careful here because, uh, you know, there's a bit of a... A thing about uh, the quality of goalkeeping in this tournament and it's kind of lambasted and much much maligned but this is a sensational performance uh heading the ball taking crosses at weird angles some fantastic saves he's definitely player of the tournament for me and yeah i'd love to watch him live after the break we'll be joined by adelaide united ceo nathan cosmina to reflect on what's been a massive week at hindmarsh don't go away we'll be back talking all things reds shortly Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The life of a football administrator is never dull, but I do expect that Adelaide United CEO 
Nathan Cosmina had a busier week than normal in the past uh, seven days. Welcome to Box to Box, uh, Nathan. Um, I hope uh, everything's starting to settle down a little bit for you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You're um, you're right. There is never a dull moment. Um, I wouldn't say it was a bit busier than um, than uh, any other week this week, particularly living in a um, COVID world at the moment. But it was definitely a, um, a challenge that we'd hoped not to have to encounter. Um, but uh, we're working through it and getting close to the other side of it. Well, there's a few things to, for us to sort of um, unpack for our listeners, Nathan. Obviously, the first uh, the first uh, cab off the rank is the issues surrounding Joshua Cavallo and uh, the homophobic slurs that he unfortunately has had to endure. Um, just uh, on uh, on Joshua, obviously you know him better than most people being his CEO, but just how proud of you of Josh and, and did you personally expect at some point during the season that we would encounter this issue? Um, yeah, firstly, obviously extremely proud of Josh. It's, um, you know, it's been well documented and um, many have commented on it, including us as a club and me personally, our coaches personally, on the uh, the courage it took from him as an individual. It's something that uh, he sort of did, you know, by himself initially in terms of um, deciding to come out. He, he sought counsel from people who had experienced it before, but um, the being involved in that process with him, at least in the uh, you know the, probably the month leading into it, was um, to be honest pretty pretty sort of emotional from a professional standpoint. I mean, you don't normally encounter that that kind of situation where you see someone's life really change before your eyes in terms of um, his mental well-being, and uh, you know. <clears throat> just continually reflect back on it and just think what how amazing he was in terms of the way he conducted himself leading up to, but also obviously post that, having to, to tell his teammates and um, and dealing with the, the, you know, the media attention that was obviously global thereafter. Um, on the flip side, I mean, we were always, we discussed it before the announcement on the, on the 27th of October last year that, and I think Josh was well prepared for it mentally as well, that with the flood of positivity that came with it, obviously from some of the biggest football brands and, and identities across the world, um, there was going to be an ine- inevitable element of negativity from, um, you know, particularly given the reaches of our game far beyond the, the shores of Australia. Now, with that, we, we had discussed the, the prospect of, you know, um, some crowd comments um, throughout the season is, is uh, you know, um, something we may encounter. So, look, I think we were we were conscious of the fact that it may occur, but obviously it's um, no less disappointing when it actually happens. Now, you as an Adelaide United organisation, are you satisfied with the response of the APL at, um, administration and leadership regarding the incident at Melbourne Victory and the response of South Australian police regarding on, ongoing online abuse. Are you satisfied with um, how the industry has responded to this challenge? Yeah, firstly, from a football perspective, the APL have been really good. Um, the, I mean, we've had issues, crowd issues before. They're not unique to our sport. You know, it's something that the AFL obviously dealt with 
um, from a race perspective, um, you know, has been a, a challenge for them. We, we had similar issues with Cassini last year. It's kind of reflected more on social media than necessarily crowd, but crowd behaviour is something that um, you know, isn't uncommon in terms of inappropriate comments coming from the stand. So this was, this was um, you know, somewhat to the next level in terms of, you know, personal attack on, on Josh and his sexuality, essentially. But the wheels of, of um, you know, being that there's a few parties that come together here, being obviously Josh as the player, um, Adelaide United as his club, you know, Melbourne Victory as the home club, and then APL as the, the league and the ultimate administrator. Um, uh, you know, that moves really quick. And, and Melbourne Victory, uh, a, a fantastic club to, to work work with on these kind of matters because they are so thorough um, as much as we don't necessarily like them on the field, off the field um, you know, they're a benchmark club. APL in a similar regard, I mean as a, as a governing body they get um, you know, a bit of heat as, as any sort of um, uh, governing organisation does, but they're actually really really good at what they do um, and there's some, some staff in there that have been there for a long time and know the game and the processes very well. So the wheels of sort of investigation, they're still ongoing, but they kicked into gear real early. And um, look, the, the question of whether or not there's people identified um, through that process is still to be seen. But from a procedural standpoint, um, we're confident that you know, no stone will be left unturned and then also the you know, proper process is followed in terms of reaching an outcome. Nathan, moving on to a couple of big departures from your playing ranks this week. Ben Halloran has left for FC Seoul, and Stefan Mork's been pretty vocal that he's pushing for a move to Japan as well. Uh, I assume that's probably wasn't uh, in your best laid plans and would have been a, a pretty significant challenge to, uh, to have two of your, your biggest names and your, your key contributors on the field uh, departing mid-season. Um, yeah, well, Ben, Ben um, uh, you know, it's been with us for two and a half years now um one of our senior players uh probably one of our most consistent performers for that that two and a half years has obviously came to us with european and and um socceroos credentials you know so it was was coming up we've sort of had him in, in, in sort of the peak of his career 27 i think he's nearly 30 now um you know that's a loss um but it's you know somewhat uh, inevitable that you have players that play well, they're going to get interest from, from overseas. I mean, we've seen it uh, you know, very often in the last few years. We've actually had a lot of players um, head overseas. And we sort of see that. We're not in the business of letting good players go. Obviously, there's financials that come along with, with transfer arrangements. But the fact that so many players have moved from us, we see as a positive um, you know, you look at Riley McGree, uh, Lockie Brook, who's now just come back on loan from Brentford. He's, you know, 12 months training literally with an English Premier League team. Um, Paul Izzo, you know, Nikola Malauznic. There's been movement of, of players from our club, which we see A, is good for them and their careers. Um, and ultimately, it's a pathway for us that we need to be, you know, accepting that the A-League is not the top of the pyramid in terms of football. Um, you know, inherently then players are going to seek opportunities at a higher level than what they're currently playing. There's, you know, more prestige that comes with that, the, the salaries and everything else are more again. So, so yeah, look, 
definitely, definitely still speculation. That's obviously there's discussions being had, but but nothing um, final as yet. To lose players um, mid-season is never um, you know never ideal in terms of stability of the squad. It's something that happens in leagues all over the world, though. You know, so so, so we're well prepared to deal with it, and we'll make a couple of signings now. Um, you know, you only seen the last few weeks with Ben having not played. It's kind of unleashed Bernardo Oliveira on that right-hand side of our attack, and you know, so it's opportunity. The door closes for one player, an opportunity opens for another. And the analogy that we used to speak about with this is um, the only reason we were able to sign Riley McGree is because his AES went overseas. You know, so so there's things like that that happen that that um, you know. Football movement of players in the football industry is, is somewhat common. It's, it's how you prepare and deal with it, I suppose, is the uh, the test of clubs. And we're confident that we're well positioned for the back end of the year. Nathan, Riley McGree obviously represents uh, a fair success for the club at this point. There's a bit of a bidding war going on, we're led to believe, between uh, Celtic and Middlesbrough for his services. So uh, I know these are things usually undisclosed in terms of the exact figure, but uh, are you guys set to receive a cut on any on-payment from from Charlotte FC? And as an extension of that, uh, if so, the way that you sort of brought Riley into the club and have now moved him on, uh, that sort of does stand as a prime example of, of what you guys are doing as a club in terms of your transfer strategy. Yeah, I won't won't speculate um, on the ins and outs of transfer agreements. There's obviously solidarity and the like that that filters yep. back down. So there's a, a few clubs that would benefit from from this, uh, you know, from a potential transfer of Riley. But that's what I mean. We've sort of prided ourselves on that for you know probably three to four years. And I would suggest, from a, a South Australian standpoint, it's something that's been a hallmark of our club from from year one. You know, pre A League 2003, we we've been very much, you know, we, and we position ourselves strategically as somewhat of a state team here. So we're fortunate that we're a one club, one team town in a sort of parochial football um, state that has a sort of good record of producing Socceroos. So we've, we've got a good pipeline of, um, you know, development programs here. Um, Carl Veard, our head coach, was, was the head of um, that program football aside for seven or eight years, so he's had visibility on all of these kids that come through now. He knows really well, and and that's something that we will continue to push. You need to get the balance right. I mean, we've spoken so much about the youth, but you can't, you know, build a youth team and expect to be competitive. You need to balance that, and that's why we've we've kept the likes of you know, Harvey Lopez, if they is one day, Michael Jakobson, these senior players. So we've, you know, coupled with the youth of. You know, Louis Dorigo, you know, Josh Cavallos, um, only young still, you know, Bernardo Oliveira, um, even, you know, goalkeepers Gauchi and Delanov, both both young in football terms. We try to, to, to mould you know, opportunities for, for young kids. They obviously need to be good enough to nothing to get that handed to them, but with a mix of experience that kind of provides a you know, a pathway or a platform for for development. And it's worked over the last few years. It's not always gonna be the case. Um but we've had a good record of giving kids or young men senior football opportunities. And, and with that, you know, many of them have moved on to, to bigger things. One of the events that we're just so excited about is the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. It's coming around pretty quickly. Um, tell us about uh, the renovations that have been completed at Hindmarsh, just for our listening audience right around Australia. We've got a good listening audience around the world too, but can you tell us how Hindmarsh has changed uh, with those renovations in preparation for that event? 
Yeah, well, it's ongoing at the moment, so we expect it to be fully complete. There is some some renovations which will actually um, take place after the Women's World Cup, but the bulk of, of upgrades are happening as we speak, if not um, post this A-League season. So it's um, it's going to be really good. I mean, we've we've it's obviously our home. It's been the home of South Australian football since the sixties. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't resemble what it used to at all, but it's you know the same block of land um, that it always has been. So it's got a lot of history and culture to the venue. And when you know we were heavily involved in in the planning and and what you know Cooper Stadium will look like in the future. And we've kind of you know our priority has been to keep that that um, intimate atmosphere. Um, one of the one of the challenges with the venue for those that have been here there is it's bordered by literally bordered by roads um, that are that are um, almost underneath the stands in some respects and heritage listed churches. So it, it, in terms of increasing the size of it, that was never something that was on the on the radar. Not something that we wanted. We wanted that intimate. Um, atmosphere kept but what we'll see in the next 12 months this year it's been back of house upgrades the change rooms have been done which was really the, the first priority so it's meant we get w uh, a league w um games played there um uh, and then moving forward you know stand on the eastern side we'll get an upgrade with a roof uh, new audio new led two new big screens um you know, new media facilities new food and beverage throughout a bunch of Back of house upgrades that um, uh, aren't going to see uh, the spotlight as such in terms of unveiling ceremonies, but they'll make the the fan experience a lot better. New ticketing gates, new entry points, all that sort of stuff. So it's it's a twenty year upgrade that it's that hasn't happened since the Olympics. I think it'll keep it the same, you know, for any football people that attend. Um, you know, you speak to most of the commentators that come to the ground; it's their favourite venue in in the country for the A-League. Um, I think it'll stay that way, but it will be, you know, brought into the 21st century. So it's going to be really good. Um, bit of a pain this year with a stand out of action and a few renos going on, but um, next year we should, you know, have a what feels like a, a new venue to play at. Uh, Adelaide CEO Nathan Cosmina, thank you for your time and uh, candidacy as we uh, navigated some difficult issues so uh, uh, best of luck for the rest of the season and um, with uh, the inevitable new players that will probably come into your playing roster and also uh, for those uh, people that listen to our podcast and have not had an opportunity to go to Hindmarsh it is the best football stadium in Australia history tradition geographic location it is a wonderful experience so do yourself a favor get on a plane go down to uh, Adelaide pick a game and and uh, go and see the Reds to, to Highmarsh, it's uh, all Cooper Stadium. It's one of the, the great football experiences in Australia. Nathan, thank you very much for joining us and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. No problems. Uh, after the break, Willem van Denneren, he's going to have all the latest Socceroos and Matildas news, in particularly the Matildas as they uh, are in Dubai, where I am, uh, preparing for uh, their assault on the Asian Cup in India. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Box to box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Welcome back to Box to Box, the show that's everything football as we go from one end of the pitch to the other. Now, as we do in segment three each week, we take a look at all the latest Matildas and Socceroos news. It is, of course, for the Green and Gold Army. The 2022 World Cup is rapidly approaching and you don't want to miss a chance to support the Socceroos in Qatar. So head to the Green and Gold Army mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. Take two seconds to sign up and be among the first to know when packages go on sale. I want to start this week with the FA Cup where a couple of lesser known Aussies, if you like, uh, enjoyed a couple of wins. The first of those was Tyrese Francois, who made his first start for Fulham since August, and they toppled Bristol City 1-0. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to go much further because they have drawn Man City in the last 32, but well done to Tyrese. There was also a debut for Huddersfield goalkeeper Nicholas Bilokapic, who came on 40 minutes in to a 2-1 win over Burnley. He kept a clean sheet as well. It was the other injured goalie who uh, who shipped the goal, so uh, well done to him, and that is one to watch. Uh, let's head to Turkey. It was a famous night for Aziz Bayic and Gira Sunspor as they toppled Galatasaray 1-0, but not such good news for Aidan Rustic and Eintracht Frankfurt. They watched a two-goal lead slip on their way to a 3-2 loss to Borussia Dortmund. Let's head to the transfer market. Nathaniel Atkinson has signed with Hearts on a three and a half year deal for an undisclosed fee. And I think that is a pretty good style of football for him, Michael. Lots of uh, overlapping fullbacks and uh, up and down the pitch bombing on in uh, the Scottish Premiership. So I think he'll slot in quite nicely. Oh, he certainly will. Uh, let's hope that's a real step up in his career. And um, I don't know how long he'll stay there, but uh, let's hope that that's a stepping stone onto greater things. But um, yeah, what about... Jack Erda, former Joey, young Socceroo. Uh, he was in the spotlight. Cambridge, what a win at Newcastle. Erda's team in League One. Uh, Cambridge United travelled to the Premier League Newcastle and um, uh, brought about probably one of the biggest cup upsets we've seen this year. Derek? We'll talk about the, uh, the, the FA Cup shops in stoppage time, but there was a, a number of games uh, that were extremely entertaining and the FA Cup magic is very much alive. To Italy, a couple of managers to round off on. Joe Montemuro has won his first piece of silverware with Juventus. They defeated Milan 2-1 in the league uh, final of the Supercoppa Femminile, uh, and they're en route to the league as well. Uh, they're undefeated there. So, uh, Derek, another manager you'd know well from his time with the Arsenal women's side, just keeps racking up trophies. Joe had a pretty good run of it at Arsenal. Didn't quite um, bring them to the heights that they're used to, but that women's Super League is extremely tough and competitive now with the likes of... City and Chelsea in particular hitting their uh, their top form. So he's obviously managed to uh, take his skills over there and interesting to see how he'll keep going. And Michael Valkanis as well, a one-time manager of Melbourne City, has taken up a new role off the back of his work with the Greek national team. That was one of the more uh, brilliant but curious little uh, tales of an Australian manager. Uh, he was uh, good mates with Jon Vantaskipta and he went to uh, manage the Greek national side and took Michael with him as his assistant. He's moved on now though and he is the assistant of Belgian first tier side KAS Yupin, where one Tim Cahill is a, a board member. So good luck to Michael with his new endeavour. Let's move on to the A-League men's competition. Uh, we'll go through the weekly update of the postponed matches. So uh, we're only going to have three of the six to this point. MacArthur against Western United on the Friday night. That's out. Perth Glory against Wellington. That's out. So the Glory, who haven't played since December 8, uh, will have to continue to train for a living. And Western Sydney against the Victory on Sunday afternoon. That's out. So that leaves us, Michael, with uh, the F3 derby on Saturday. Sydney against Brisbane on Saturday night. And Adelaide United versus Sydney at the same time. So surely you'd move one of those fixtures to uh, maximise the ability of people to watch. Yeah, let's hope they do that. Um, but as we know, COVID-19 and uh, Omicron are... Uh, creating havoc in all facets of our life at the moment. And uh, the A-League 
fixture is no different about that. Uh, I just want to mention Ernie Merrick. He made a fantastic yes. article yep. um, in the Keep Up platform recently, crediting a visit to Ange Postacoglu at Celtic for reinvigorating his coaching aspirations. Uh, let's just reflect a little bit about Ernie. Uh, people have a, a short memory when it comes to Ernie. 2006-2007, the Melbourne Victory Championship, 41 goals in 21 games, including those six grand final goals against Adelaide, believe it or not. 2014-15 uh, at Wellington Phoenix, he finished equal third and scored 45 goals in 27 games. And in 2017-18, Newcastle Jets runners-up, 57 goals in 27 games. For me, he's still got another A-League, and uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you were an A-League organisation, um, I'd be having to talk to Ernie about an A-League women's gig. Maybe he's yeah. up for that as well. I think uh, I'd love to see him work in the women's stream. He would be very, very successful. He's incredibly positive, very funny guy, um, a wonderful um, life's work in the sport. I hope Ernie either at the A-League men or A-League women, gets another opportunity. And I understood uh, he was a serious candidate for the Matildas job when Gustafsson was appointed. Uh, he was also in the mix there. So um, for me, Ernie Merrick, I'd love to see him back, Willem, would you? Everyone remembers what he did at the victory and, of course, the Jets. That was a, a great story that very nearly got the ending it deserved in that grand final. But I'm glad you brought up that season with Wellington. Was it 2014-15? Yeah, 2014-15, uh, yeah. They spent weeks in the last third of the season top of the table and I think there were sort of four or five clubs uh, that were in the running for the premiership and it was changing by the week and had things gone uh, a couple of different ways. Wellington could well have, have won the premiership and gone on to, to bigger things. I think Nathan Burns might have won the Johnny Warren yep. uh, that season. And considering what Wellington had done before and did for the uh, for the few seasons after that until Mark Rudin got there and, and sorted them out, that was, I think, one of his, one of his best achievements. Uh, let's have a look at the women's competition. Fortunately, this week, all games look untroubled by COVID so far. So let's make, uh, well, let's hope that that... Uh, stays, this, uh, stays the case. Let's have a look back to last week, Michael. Four games played, 4-0 wins for Sydney FC and Melbourne City and a four-point gap between them, although City do have a game in hand. If you were to pick a Premier right now, uh, who would you be backing? Really good question. You know, Sydney FC, uh, just like a metronome getting uh, the job done, but they've played a lot of weaker teams. They haven't played any of the big ones yet. Um, yeah, Melbourne City are making... Uh, a really good case for themselves. And um, Rebecca Stott just gets better every week. She's a pivotal figure in that team and they've really purchased a fantastic pro, Hannah Wilkinson. She's deadly in front of goals. And um, yeah, so uh, look, they'd have to be out front. Our um, Melbourne victory and Jeff Hopkins, who's a good mate of the program and comes on for us regularly. Yeah, they've got their work cut out. Injury has ravaged them uh, and they're, they're struggling to get their defensive uh, structure right. I wouldn't write them off. I wouldn't write them off. I think in the back half of the season, they'll get some players back and uh, which might uh, improve. Don't forget these teams now are going to be missing players who are with the Matildas. Yep. That'll have a factor in the in the season. But for me, pretty hard to go past Sydney FC, the metronome. Uh, Ante uh, up there has got them going very, very nicely. But let's not write off City or Victory. 
The competition, as you say, is going to get a bit of a shake-up because the top three of Sydney City and Victory are all going to miss uh, two players each to the Matildas and uh, the competition isn't going to break for the international uh, the international assignment. Adelaide United, though, they loom as the best of the rest, really. They've won two on the bounce and Dylan Holmes has come in. They haven't actually lost anyone to the Matildas. Uh, Dylan was on the score sheet against Canberra, who are also usually, uh, well, they were fourth last season, weren't they? So it looks like it's all sort of sitting there for Adelaide to sew up uh, a finals position, even at this early point. Please make sure that you subscribe to Box to Box wherever you listen to uh, your podcast. And if you've got Twitter or Facebook, give us a like or a follow. We'd appreciate that very much. Uh, stay with us after the break because we're going to talk to super fan Michelle Prasad about all things stadium security, active support, and where in Australia we get it wrong. Don't go away. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box, segment four now. We're going to talk to super fan Michelle Prasad, who I know very well. Michelle's a very good mate of mine. Um, she went, she's been to 2010, 2014, 2018, 2019 Men's and Women's World Cups. Uh, she's a big Sydney FC fan in the A-League men and the A-League women. She's heavily involved in active support groups. She's involved in women's football. She's a handy left back uh, when she doesn't have any injuries. She gets on the <laughs> field and plays a little bit too. But Michelle Prasad, one of the most um, experienced uh, football fans and a fabulous contributor to all the colour and emotion that we see at most a-League men's and women's games on the weekend. Welcome to Box to Box, Michelle. Hello all. I got you on the program because I want to talk generally about um, the issues that football fans face in stadiums in Australia. And you're a good one to talk about this because you've been to hundreds of stadiums all around the world seeing football. So you get the, I guess you get to, um, to talk about what happens overseas and what happens here and some of the quirky stuff that happens. Um, I'll just give you an open question off the top, Michelle. Are Australian football fans treated unfairly by stadium security uh, right around the A-League? If those that heard about the incident that happened at the women's game last weekend, um, probably some of you are not surprised um, and some of you will be surprised because uh, each stadium, um, fans are treated differently. And um, we were definitely treated a lot different compared to many other days that we've had at Cogra. And uh, it's just a little bit disappointing, really, because we thought we were moving on and Active was getting to a certain point where we can all enjoy. And unfortunately, that day was a very dark day. You know, football yeah. fans in Australia, and all football codes have had trouble with fans in their journey, but football fans seem to get um, the most... Uh, exposure for when there's trouble. I mean, in the old NSL days, we had some very ugly incidences between ethnic groups. Um, that's been put behind us. The A-League was launched and there was such a wonder, in the first sort of five or six or seven years of the A-League, there was just so such a wonderful atmosphere at games because the, the organic nature of, of fan support re-emerged in, in football and it was fantastic. And then we had what I call Newsgate, the News Corporation papers decided to um, out fans who had behaved poorly at games. And we had a we had a, a, a massive standoff between fan groups and the Federation and the media. Uh, we had Melbourne Victory and Western Sydney Wanderers fan groups 
boycotting games. Uh, and then we've, we've seen the Federation employ security agencies like Hatamoto to, to spy on fans. I mean, we've had quite a rocky road, but it seemed like active fans, their voices were starting to be heard again, and the A-League authorities and the leadership uh, in football generally acknowledged that we need to give the fans, cut the fans a break and uh, get them back at the game, enjoying themselves to create great atmosphere. So all of that has happened. And then we have a circumstance that developed at the A-League women's match at Sydney FC last weekend. Michelle, why don't you tell us what happened? Um, We were enjoying, uh, we were set to enjoy a a, a regular dub game um, at Cogra. Um, the, 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 I'll just set it up. The the day was beautiful. We had a you know a good crowd of twenty in active. Um, got to the stadium quite early, um, as as we do when we have a little bit of a pre-game at the Cogra Clubhouse. Um, and then we uh, set up just behind goals. We don't we don't set up just where the men are, just above the goals. Um, we we set up the girls themselves. We set up behind the goals so the girls can actually hear us. Um, because it's such a small group, um, we just like to be a little bit closer to, to our players. And um, we got questioned as soon as we got into the stadium. Um, the security wanted to have a look if we were uh, membership, um, Cove membership people, and we and we, we always have a general admission ticket. Um, and um, we got questioned why we're we going into the Cove, and um, that was the first kind of like bad mark of the day. Oh, this is a bit tough. What's going on? How many, how um, many anyway. people at the game, Michelle? How many people at oh, the game? Oh, less than oh, maybe about 2K. Of, yeah. yeah. Around 2K. So, and it's a, it's, yeah. it's a big stadium, isn't it? Massive stadium, yeah. It's like it, 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 it houses, what, I don't know, 30,000, 28,000? It's fair to like say that, that yeah. you had the choice of about... 3,000 seats behind the goal you could have sat in. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we were kind of segregated at the, at the beginning. Um, and then we weren't told to sit in our regular spot. We had to sit up, up, up the top. So we were like, okay, you know, this is not our regular thing, but okay, we'll just comply. And then the security kept saying, oh, you know, you, you've got to stand off, like, get off the seat. Um, my partner was asked to get off the seat. He wasn't even standing on the seat. And they kind of like, oh, sorry, you know, and legs between, uh, tail between their legs, walked off, kind of toying on what can we grab them for next. Um, a few of the boys were sitting on the, um, the, the railings. They got constantly told to get off that. Like, I understand it is dangerous, you know, get off. But we never had a problem at any other game before. It's been like this. Throughout the years at Cogra, how many years have you been here? Three, four years now. So it was just, you know, um, sorry, the game's just about to start. So well, it just started. So move out away from the noise. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was the vibe was quite. It was getting quite dark. Um, and then we were we, we kind of had a, um, a breakthrough that they, they they let us go stand behind the box. So we walked down with our drums and everything to stand right behind the goal. And they said, oh, no, you can't have the, the drums in the first row. You've got to have the drums in the back row. So like, why? Like, the drums don't have anything in them or anything like that. We're not going to have, you know, 
Trump's not going to do anything. So we just thought that was a bit tough as well. Okay, doesn't matter. We'll comply. Put the drum in the back row, and you know, um, whoever was drumming was drumming. Anyways, uh, second hand, second um, half kicked off, and uh, the actual drummer would, I don't know, went to the bathroom or get a drink or something like that. So um, our ladies league, Michelle Morris, decided to you know climb over the chairs and go on the drums, and she started. Drumming, nothing of it, you know, we're all having a great time, it was fun. And then suddenly, I think it was three or four minutes before the game was over, security came over to her and said, we saw you jumping onto your feet, you got to go out. And it was just a kerfuffle after that, like, what the hell? Like, she just climbed over the seat. She wasn't jumping on the seat for anything. She just climbed over to get, over, get onto the drum. And, yeah, like, it's, go get some real criminals. But, like, what? They obviously have nothing better to do, and um, unfortunately, I think it stemmed from the the game beforehand, the men's game beforehand, which our capo Winston was told to get off the seat, and he didn't. And our our actual code marshal said, "We're looking after this. They've been there for the beginning of time, doing the same thing. Let me handle this." So, but obviously, the security had to be stood down at that particular time, and we had our way. Unfortunately, not a new issue. It's been going on pretty much since the outset of the A-Leagues, at least. And it's uh, an issue that stems with the security because clubs don't own their grounds. They hire their grounds and then the grounds hire the security. So there's a disconnect between the actual football fan and the security. uh, And then they're the two who actually uh, meet face-to-face throughout the day. So, yeah, the frustration must be high, Michelle, that this isn't a new issue. This is something that's uh, been going on for for some time. And uh, it had been hoped that, the APL coming in would would soothe these relations, and it's probably too harsh to say that they haven't been uh, improved as well. Uh, I've yeah. got a, a story of my own about going to the, the Boxing Day test at the cricket and watching people get thrown out drunk all day, and that's all good larrick and fun. And then you walk across to Amy Park to a family family atmosphere, and there's six or seven police horses, uh, yeah, very intimidatory yeah. atmosphere. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's frustrating that we are now a year into the uh, APL, and not to say things haven't improved, but uh, when instances like this occur, it's, it's easy to think that they have not. Look, it was going great guns until our final co- final contract here at Cogra. So this is our final year here. We move back to North Park in the next season. Contract's going to run out, we're obviously, in a, in a few months' time. So security has gone, well, you know, we can, we can do anything we want now because they're not going to be here next year. Let's just, you know... Do whatever. Super fan Michelle Prasad, thank you for joining us on Box to Box. We've loved having you uh, telling us about uh, what was just a crazy, um, crazy thing that happened at the W A League W match in in Sydney last weekend when uh, a fan was ejected for beating a drum. Believe it or not, yes, you heard it here first on Box to Box. Uh, Michelle, thank you very much. And after the break, we'll be thank returning you. with stoppage time, and Derek Dyson will unpack some of the more quirky issues facing football around the world. Don't go away. Uh, we'll be right back on Box to Box shortly. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box, uh, where the fourth official has instructed the referee that Rob Gilbert's listening and he said there's 11 minutes of extra time and uh, we'll go, uh, we'll, we'll 
be joined by Derek in a moment and we'll talk about uh, some cup shocks and Manchester United and a few other things. But before we do that, it's game, set, save at Chemist Warehouse with half price off the recommended retail price of on the Nature's Own range. Get huge savings on Nature's Own Super B Complex, 75 tablets now, $13.99. And Nature's Own Glucosamine Sulfate, 320 tablets for just $29.49. Uh, that obviously excludes exclusive bulk sizes. Also save on Suncare with 40% off the recommended retail price on the Cancer Council and Dermavine range. 30% off recommended retail price on the Ego Sunsense Banana Boat and Avene range. And half price off the Reef and Invisible Zinc range. So for those people like Derek Dyson and Willem Van Denderen who like to get out in the sun with pale skin, you can get Banana Boat. You can get whatever you like down at Chemist Warehouse. Huge 40% savings on sunscreen range. You can lather it on and stay at the sun all day, Willem. I do not have pale skin. Uh, well, comparison to a lot of people you do, but I imagine you tan up pretty well. I can just imagine you slapping on the banana boat. Oh, sure. I'm very, very sun safe, but, uh, but equally not pale. Derek, let's have a look at some of the, uh, the big FA Cup shocks. We've already touched on Cambridge and we've touched on the Gunners uh, going down. What else caught your eye? Yeah, I think firstly we need to say it. I don't think that the Arsenal result was a shock as uh, uh, Rob Gilbert was trying to point out to us on, on WhatsApp earlier in the week. Uh, Nottingham Forest are a coming team. They're doing well in the championship. And it just goes to show that if you're off your game, that, that these these uh, kind of things would happen. This would certainly be nothing like, for example, Liverpool's shock loss to Grimsby Power Town in 2001 in the Cup. with a team full of Jamie Carragher and... Nick Barnby, Yari Lipmanen, Jamie Redknapp, you know, that that to me would be a shock, Willem. But uh, uh, i tell you what, the, what, what shocks there were, you, you did say Cambridge United, yeah, what, what, a, what a game and what a result. Saudis actually came into town for the first time, presumably thinking they were going to see a guaranteed routine win and how wrong they were. That That is quite funny. Uh, Kidderminster <laughs> Harriers, uh, they were the lowest side. Uh, left in the in the tournament, and they knocked out Reading two one. That's definitely a shocker. Seventy nine places below them in the pyramid, uh, and they will play West Ham in the next round after winning two one. By the way, anyone that wins an FA Cup third round tie gets eighty two thousand pounds, which potentially to the likes of Liverpool and others who have made it through in the Premier League side of things to Kidderminster, that will definitely pay for some 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 good stuff for their club. Boreham Wood was the other major, you know, shock as well. Uh, they're now going away to Bournemouth, having beaten AFC Wimbledon two 0 um, and uh, you know, AFC Wimbledon themselves, a team that's risen through the the leagues to get into the professional leagues, and Boreham Wood certainly another team there. And some te- some some nearly shocks. We should mention Liverpool. They did go a goal down, goal down to lowly Shrewsbury Town before. Uh, Roberto Firmino showed a bit of class and made the difference for the Reds and Tottenham had to bring the cavalry on they were 1-0 down to Morecambe of all people the shrimp men and the the shrimp the shrimpers the the shrimp men uh, (laughs) nearly did it and they had to bring on Kane and Moura to uh, to solve that problem and uh, probably most interestingly of all uh, Tangy and Dombele the record signing for Spurs substituted off with some ignominy trudge slowly off and the the crowd and the 
the boos from the Tottenham fans were pretty clear. So who knows what's going to happen to him. Probably tie of the round was Barnsley beating 10-man Barrow. Barrow, another another kind of place that probably most of our Australian audience have never heard of in the arse end of nowhere in Northern England. It was 5-4 for Barnsley in the end. Interestingly, Barnsley have only scored 15 goals all season up until this point and then uh, added a third onto their tally in, in, in this game. And it was nearly a shock for of a small proportion for Everton. They uh, nearly went down to Hull City in the championship, of the, of the championship, before turning it around. And uh, the uh, Hull fans were singing, you'll be sacked in the morning to Rafa Benitez, to which the Everton fans all started applauding and started joining in. So yeah. pretty toxic there, but Rafa's team... <clears throat> getting back 3-2. And, Will, I'm looking at the next round. Uh, nothing like too major that you can see there, but Boreham Wood will go to Bournemouth, as we said. Uh, Kidderminster, as we said, will host West Ham. That's probably the tie of the round. Uh, Liverpool for Rob. That's Cardiff City at home. And probably the most in- interesting game will be Arsenal's uh, Killers. Forest will play Leicester City in a East Midlands derby. So that's your FA Cup, Willem. Let's have a look at the Serie A, Michael, shifting gears for a second. Uh, if you have a look at the top of the table, you'll see Inter Milan. Now, that shouldn't be a great shot considering they were, well, they are still defending champions, but this wasn't the way it was meant to go. Antonio Conte left. Jiang Su Suning could no longer fund the club. Uh, they were selling big players, and despite being champions and uh, lifting the drought-breaking uh, title, uh, they were meant to slide down the table, but no, they've they've stuck fat in their top. Absolutely, just shows you that uh, they've got a good culture at the club, and uh, their backs to the wall. Uh, they're doing very, very, very well, no doubt about that at all. Um, Italian football is always going to be a competitive one uh, amongst the top, you know, five or six uh, clubs, and uh, those people that are writing Inter Milan off, um, well, Inter's saying cop that. Jose Mourinho, he's the boss man at Roma. They sit eighth. Having suffered a psychological collapse, Jose's words, against Juve, (laughs) uh, they were 2-1 up and they shipped three in 20 minutes uh, to go down uh, 4-3. So I'll get your thoughts on Jose and then I want to quickly add a little word on Christian Volpato, the Aussie at Roma. Haven't really progressed anywhere since he he took over. They've made a few interesting signings, but uh, Jose probably not doing the job that they thought and shipping lots of goals as well. They've conceded 28 goals this season. Jose's teams are usually known for defensive uh, brilliance, but that that doesn't sound too good to me. And the win for Juve brings them up to fifth. They're still 11 points behind Inter, but that's much better for them. And of course, AC Milan keeping Inter honest. They had the 3-0 wins. Latan scored his eighth goal of the season again. So, uh, Is he yeah. still going around? Yeah, still still going around, still scoring the goals. But there is one Aussie we should mention, isn't there, Willem? Yeah, there is, Michael. This is the point of interest for Australians with Roma at the moment, and that is Christian Volpato. Made his uh, Syria debut a couple of months back under Jose. Uh, it's not looking good, though, for the minute. The tussle is on between Australia and Italy. Uh, they've tried to call him up again for the young Socceroos. Roma have declined. They've said they value senior football for Australia, so they'd be happy if he was caught up to the Socceroos, or they prefer he play his juniors in Italy. Uh, and it's expected they're going to call him up for the European Under-19 Championship qualifiers uh, in March. If he was to be quali- uh, called up then, uh, that'd clash with the Oliroos, the Australian Under-23s Asian Cup. Uh, so it looks like the tide might have turned against Australia for Christian Volpato, as it has uh, seemingly with Alexander Robertson, who we haven't heard from in a while. 
Yeah, I think Alexander Robertson, uh, the horse is well and truly bolted there. Otherwise, we would have seen him in our programs. But, um, well, there's this fellow. Don't forget you can play for the under-19s for Italy and still play for the Socceroos. So I think it'll be the hard decision he will need to make is when he does get called up to the Socceroos and he needs to make, well, if I play for Australia, I can't play for Italy. And um, it's fair to say he's probably going to get that call up for the Socceroos probably earlier than Italy, I would think. So um, I think that's probably when the crunch time, and I don't think that will come for a little bit. And I don't have too many problems with a young Australian player staying playing senior football with Roma ahead of the uh, the Joey. So I think that's a good that's that that's happened a lot in in the past. And uh, yeah, I, I'd say there's a little bit of water to go into this bridge yet. And um, uh, the Australians, well, they'll be working hard on it, no doubt about that. Fair enough. I guess if, if the Socceroos, and not to say they're easy matches, but if they can win against Saudi Arabia, if they can win against China, then you can look to a game like Vietnam and maybe get him in and cap him and massage him into the system. But as it's such a cutthroat game, I uh, really can't afford that luxury at the moment. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, a couple of things to touch on before we close out the show, Derek. And one of those is the change of ownership at Southampton. That's right. They've been bought over by uh, an organisation called Sports Republic, which is uh, an investment vehicle from one Dragan Solak, a Serbian media mogul, and he was there uh, to see the Saints beat Brentford comfortably for one in the Premier League. They're now 11th. And Dragan Solak, uh, he he's uh, said that this acquisition of Southampton is going to be the centerpiece of a, a wider project for Sports Republic. It sounds like they're going to potentially follow the City Group's approach of a multi-team investment portfolio, potentially hoovering up clubs uh, around Europe and possibly even further afield. Uh, Southampton, the club, of course, used to be uh, known as one of the best-run clubs in England, uh, You know, not just for making the best of their budget, but but also uh, attracting quality young players and then selling them on. There was the likes of Arsenal, who obviously came in for Walcott and Oxley chamberlain and Liverpool made it their business to sign virtually mm-hmm. every player that Southampton produced. Uh, and Southampton did very well, sending them off at some, uh, some, some tidy, tidy profits. The thing that I would point out about this is the uh, fair and proper um, person uh, issue is coming up again and just simply that Dragon Solak is also the main investor in Premier League rights in Serbia he's paid for those rights for a number of years now so the same organization that has been receiving that money from Dragon Solak has then got to decide whether he is a fit and proper person to run a Premier League club there's nothing to suggest that he isn't by the way but again I just wonder whether that process needs to be looked at. That is interesting. Dragon Solak, by the by, uh, the namesake of Turkish-Serbian chess grandmaster Dragon Solak. So, no, it's not the same (laughs) man. Uh, I think, Derek, what might be a little bit of a saving grace for the Southampton fans is that he is an 80% owner. The other 20% remains in the family of Marcus Lieber, who was the much-loved owner who passed in 2010. So his daughter, Katarina, uh, still has 20% uh, stake in the club. So I think uh, that might... uh, Yeah, maybe maybe that'll soothe over uh, whatever... Uh, whatever potential sales uh, happen. Michael, finally, uh, change of CEO at Manchester United. Yeah, I always find it interesting when an Englishman brings up the fit and proper person argument about a foreigner involving a club because uh, let's have a look at uh, Manchester United. Uh, they're going to part ways. Well, they're 
parting ways. Uh, he has had a long farewell with Mr. Woodward, a fine, upstanding London type. Is he a fit and proper person to have run Manchester United over the past? <laughs> not, uh, not based on the results, Edge, no. That's Woodward. correct, yeah, because he spent a billion pounds. He spent a billion <laughs> pounds, the same amount of money as what his cross-trend rivals Manchester City have, and he's come up with uh, bugger all. So um, let's just not uh, put the fit and proper person test on anybody who's not English or British. Um, Richard Arnold, he's the new CEO of Manchester United. He's appeared to have inherited a club that's divided uh, and disenchanted. Arnold's ascension has come from the commercial side of the business. He now takes on responsibility for results on the pitch. He'll will empower football director John Murto and technical director Darren Fletcher. They're going to have more autonomy, according to his latest comments and budget approval. Let's see how it works out. Arnold obviously replaces Woodward, who spent a billion pounds on players. A fee comparable to what the Crosstown rivals at Manchester City had. Um, and Woodward also, believe it or not, employed astrophysicist and former Treasury policy advisor to run a data revolution within the club. And I believe that uh, his recontracting strategy uh, was off the back of the algorithms developed by uh, this fellow from um, the Treasury Department. I just wonder whether he'll survive the axe, the astrophysicist who convinced Woodward to spend a billion pounds and get no silverware. You'd, you'd expect a galaxy of stars uh, for a billion pounds with the astrophysicist involved at, oh. I think, Edge. And uh, as you, Richard Arnold will pick up three million pounds a year, incidentally, for, for, for running that club. He is mates with uh, Mr. Woodward as well. They met, incidentally, at Bristol University. So it's not quite a quite a changing of the guard. But, but as you said, uh, you know, Woodward doesn't leave with the best CV, three trophies since 2013. Uh, he signed Maran Fellaini, any kind of blot on anyone's record. He fell out with Jose Mourinho and he watched his crosstown rivals assemble the best team, the best manager, the best infrastructure in the world, and they all passed them by. So good luck, you Richard. Know what's really interesting, Derek, do. is he ran Manchester United from London. How do you do that? How how do you have an office in London and run a club in Manchester? How do you do that? It sounds like it's closer to the old boys network of Bristol University, Derek. It's closer to most of Manchester United's fans as well, to be honest, a few down oh. there in the... Uh, <laughs> he Derek said he hey, uh, And Richard Arnold, on the way out, Woodward's given him this gift too. He's, they've reported a full year net loss of £92.2 million. Not only has he spent a billion, he's lost ninety two million pounds in the last 12 months however their revenue might have fallen by 120 million pounds but their net debt has been reduced from 474.1 million pounds to 419.5 million pounds largely due to favorable exchange rates on interest payments which means that they've been able to reduce the principal there you go. If you can make uh, ends meet of that or head nor tail of those figures, uh, good luck, Richard Arnold, and all those Manchester United fans around the world who are thinking probably not the same as two Arsenal fans on a podcast, but they're thinking, yes, Michael, you're right. A billion pounds, no silverware.
Beautiful. Top show, Michael. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, no I more. think so. Okay, fair enough. Well, we'll, we'll say goodbye to uh, our listeners. Um, that's it for today's episode of Box to Box, the show that's everything football from one end of the pitch to the other. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and Storage King, our fantastic partners. Willem, I'll give you the last word um, because you have recovered from Omicron. How has your COVID experience been? No, I'm sweet, thank you. I'm all good. So feeling very fortunate and hoping that everyone who is not feeling so well uh, comes good quickly. No, all good, thank you. Thank you, Derek, and thanks to Damien on the buttons. Until next week on Box to Box, we say bye for now.